Swing and a high fly ball, belted. First home run for Acuna as a tape measure shot in Cincinnati. There's a deep drive to center field. Get up, ball. Get out of here. And gone. Home run number one for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 34 regular season home runs for the now 21-year-old Juan Soto. That is hit in the air to right and way out of here. Wow. Hello and welcome in everybody to another episode of Prospects 365 Fantasy Baseball Podcast. My name is Mike Curlin, and as always, I'm joined by Ray Butler. You can follow us on Twitter. Ray is at Prospects365, of course, and I am at Mike underscore Curlin. Ray, it's been a long time, mostly because of me, but what's going on, man? How's everything? Man, it's been more than a month. Uh, of course, no worries. It's, it's been an extremely chaotic, at least especially the past couple weeks. Uh, but I think I, me and my family are making the most of it. How's everything your way? It's going better than anticipated. I'm also pretty fortunate, all things considered. My wife being a teacher, me being – what what's that term now? Essential – uh, what essential personnel or whatever it's called. Like I'm saying it with air quotes, like you can see me, but I'm one of those like people that have to go to work. Cause obviously what I do, I work for, I'm a first responder essentially for a living firefighter paramedic. So I'm obviously, like I said, all things considered, I'm very fortunate, but the kids being home, the wife being home really throws a wrench in things. I'm squeezing some time today to finally get on, get on with you. But you know, getting, getting me on a podcast has been very, very difficult. And I do apologize for that, but Hey, we're back. We're, we're doing it today. So. Oh yeah. So regardless of our situations, of course, this is kind of plays right into our first era where this is just going to be kind of a, we're going to discuss the delay as a whole today and just how it's kind of impacted the drafts, players that have kind of grown on us, uh, we've grown on with the extended, you know, start and all that. So in general, though, what has this, uh, what has this whole situation, like what's your thoughts on this whole situation as a whole? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's silly to talk anything about baseball before you kind of say, you know, obviously this is an extremely serious mm-hmm. situation in a whole lot of places. Um, and, you know, it, it, I don't know. I, we're, we're not attempting to minimalize the situation at all just because we choose to talk about how it affects the 2020 baseball season. Uh, you know, from a, from a content standpoint, running a website, I was kind of under the impression early uh, we hadn't quite gotten out and published all of our preseason content yet when the uh, delay was announced and when spring training was suspended. So my first thought was I was going to kind of hold on to the rest of our preseason content and I was going to wait until uh, closer to baseball time to publish that content. And instead of publishing that, uh, I was going to kind of create content that uh, people would like to read that had to do with the layoff, with the suspension, with the shutdown, uh, kind of had a change of heart. I just kind of thought if we were to go ahead and release the rest of our preseason content, it would ca- kind of challenge me as a content creator to uh, kind of think outside of the box what people uh, may like to read stuff that perhaps I've never created before. And we've kind of, uh, we've already kind of seen those wheels in motion. I uh, got with my prospect team at Prospects 365. We recently uh, published our most overrated prospects in baseball. It was kind of a, just a whimsical idea that I had. And two days after the article was published, 
that article had already become the eighth most popular article on the site this year. Uh, so oh, wow. yeah, that kind of speaks to two things. One, we have a whole lot of talent at Prospects 365 because I, I don't take any of the credit for that. It all has to do with the people that work on the site with me. And number two, people are still really, really hungry for content. Uh, I do believe just kind of by looking at the traffic the website had, there was a little bit of downtime when, you know, the, the world was at its most hectic point. Everything was being shut down. There were so many different things in flux. But in the past days and weeks since that time, I think uh, traffic has kind of picked back up across the board, not only uh, on Prospects 365, but on other sites as well. And uh, since then, I've announced that I'm going to be releasing my first ever kind of crystal ball prospect list, um, the 2021 Top 100. I'm in the process of creating that now. It'll be published soon. I hope to kind of also have time to dive into dynasty rankings, just things like that that I've never worked on or published before that this kind of extra time gives me to work on. And th these were all suggestions from readers, from VIP members. Uh, so I really hope it's fairly popular on the website. What about you? Yeah, man, this on, I, I was pretty transparent and I think yesterday, even I tweeted, it was pretty late at night, but I finally just got back in the mood. Like part of me not putting out content wasn't just my busy, hectic life, but I was legitimately like somewhat beat up. And again, baseball is a very, again, I don't want to minimize what's going on. I get it. It's only getting worse. It's still getting worse daily. So I put it out there though. This was this baseball, fantasy baseball, everything about this is, is an escape for me. This is something I enjoy doing and it's something that I've really, you know, been looking forward to. So of course I was let down and I hate to make it sound like, you know, this is like first world problems. Obviously this is not on a grand scheme. This is a very small issue, but I was legitimately like just down on things, man. I didn't want to do anything, but then yesterday kind of got, got that uh, fire lit back under me, man. And I'm like, like you, like you said though, I've noticed like the podcast, like the number, the download numbers have gone down. People aren't really as tuned in, but it's starting to come back around again. So as people, if people are, I'm hoping that, I guess what I'm hoping for is that my passion for this will eventually, you know, show out again. I will show that in my in the production of content, and with that, um, hopefully, it'll help others kind of escape reality, even if it's for a brief moment. You know what I mean? Because right yeah. now, everybody's like trapped inside. People are going through some really personal, like huge personal struggles, and sometimes just even if it's for twenty minutes out of your day, that twenty minutes can make a big difference for somebody. So I'm hoping that my content can provide some type of relief for you for everybody as well. So I'm kind of on the same page as you, and I'm doing the same thing, man. I'm over here, like I have. I literally sent a picture. I have a list of six or seven podcasts now that I need to like record as well for, for bases loaded. And then obviously we'll get more, more regular stuff going on here as well, because we just need to, I mean, we have the time we, I mean, just gotta, I just gotta make it. My wife, my wife's on a schedule now, so we can kind of figure that out. But um, yeah, I got stuff like, I want to get more into video street, like making videos, like live streaming and stuff like that. I have uh, some player breakdown videos I want to do kind of essentially take my deep dive articles and put them into video form with like learn how to so I have like right, things to learn literally things to do and learn I have to learn how, like this there's a video editing a software I have so I'm gonna learn that so I can produce better video content I'm gonna learn how to do some like like photo, uh, photoshop type stuff hopefully uh, kind of just get better at my analysis as well take advantage of this downtime I have a list of things to do in the offseason I'm gonna tr essentially take that take that stuff I was gonna learn in the offseason put it to now and then hopefully share what I learn in the process, kind of, kind of grow together with who's still following along and whatnot. You know, that's kind of the direction I'm heading personally. Right. Yeah. And I love what you said. You said that people are going to use this as an outlet 
and I published as much, and I also said it on the SP Streamer podcast that I did a couple days ago. Even if when you read our content or you listen to our podcast, it only even if it only gets your mind off everything that is going on outside for five or ten seconds, then it makes my work and the effort that I put in to create content well worth it. You know, if if we can give you a break from the reality that is going on outside, uh, then it's well worth our time. And that's why we're going to continue to kind of dredge on. And like you said, it's a really good time to continue to perfect our craft, learn some things that, uh, that perhaps are a little bit outside of our comfort zone. I certainly plan on doing that as well. Uh, and also the, the video streaming idea, like you said, uh, Matt Williams did that a couple of times with the turn Two podcast. Uh, he invited me a couple of times. Unfortunately, I was doing family things both of the times he invited me, but yeah, stuff like that, getting outside of my comfort zone is definitely something that I want to focus on in the coming months leading up to hopefully what is a good 2020 baseball season. Exactly. And I couldn't agree more. And again, it's, got to take advantage of the situation at hand type of thing and unfortunately again it's under these dire circumstances but i hate the harp on that so we're gonna we can go ahead and move on it's just hard to transition from that because again it's it's you we're not trying to make light of the situation i want to make sure people truly understand that but obviously people come for a bearing space we'll talk so let's give them some so now that you know the obviously the, the season's been pushed back and there's kind of a lot of questions as to when exactly it's going to start if at all but in general players that you've become higher on as the fantasy draft season has progressed. There's a few names here you have listed. You want to, how do you want to do this? You want to go, you want to list all your names, go, go one each at a time. Let's do, let's do one at a time. All right, cool. We both have three names as of right now. I might add, but we'll see what happens. Sure. For it. <laughs> yeah. So the first one that uh, I've kind of grown on or has grown on me as draft season has progressed is Trent Grisham of the Padres. Uh, he was someone who I was able to scout in person last year while he was still in the Southern League with the Brewers in Double A. Uh, he really impressed me in person. I knew that he had made some changes. I just it was hard for me to kind of eyeball what that was in person. Uh, and it turned out he had swapped the grip that he had on his bat. I, he takes kind of a more traditional, like he's gripping a golf uh, golf club. The Brewers attempted to change that after they drafted him. Uh, his his output statistically offensively plummeted and he went back last season to what he was comfortable with, with the golf grip. And he just is a, just a complete breakout. He dominates the minor leagues, uh, gets called up to Milwaukee down the home stretch of the regular season. Unfortunately, what a lot of people remember his 2019 season by is the air in right field in the wildcard game, the NL wildcard game. Uh, but this is someone, he's been traded to San Diego. He was part of the, what trade was he part of? Oh, the, uh, the Luis Arias uh, trade. Yeah. Arias got shipped to Milwaukee and Grisham uh, got moved to San Diego. I think he's going to be their everyday center fielder. Uh, I think, you know, he's not going to be someone who just lights it up from a batting average standpoint, but you don't really have to to have that from him if he's your fifth outfielder in an NFBC league. I think so, he's someone who's going to bat anywhere from 240 to 250. Now, I will say in on-base leagues, he's going to be a 340 to 350, maybe even 350 to 360 because of his double-digit walk rate. But the counting stats is why I'm in on Grisham. I think uh, if we were to have a 162-game season, which we won't, I think it's pretty fair to kind of expect anywhere from – 20 to 25 home runs 
and 10 to 15 stolen bases from him. There's a whole lot of people who are continuing to discount the speed output that we're going to see from him. Uh, and that's valuable to me, especially in the later rounds of a draft as I'm trying to meet the uh, 80th and 90th percentile thresholds. Uh, he's going to bat probably fifth or sixth on most days in the Padres lineup. Because of his uh, patience and the way he works counts, there is a chance that he eventually uh, may lead off for them at times. Uh, he's just someone I think is going to outperform uh, his price tag, even when you extrapolate those stats to fit however long we play in 2020. Uh, he's a guy that I've been targeting, especially recently. I got a share uh, in Battle of the Podcast that you were a part of. I got a share in TGFBI, which, uh, by the way, my team projects better than your team. My uh, team is got terrible. Him, I got him <laughs> one other place, too. I think I have a total of three shares now. Uh, just a perfect guy for, like, my fourth or fifth outfield spot. I really think he's going to surprise folks this year. Well, to touch on TGFBI, I looked back at that team. I just looked back at it. And I thought to myself, I, like, I'm looking at my team. And I'm like, what was I thinking? I do not like my team at all. It is completely different than most of my teams. And I think I got too cute in the middle rounds. That's a whole other discussion. I really don't like that team anymore. And well, I wasn't your, your, gonna... team, it, it, your team projected decently, didn't it? Top I, I, 100? I, I don't think. No, I think it was like 150-ish last night. I mean, I didn't Ooh. look, though. Yeah, it was, gotcha. like right in the, it was right in the middle, maybe towards the bottom. I think, way, when the, I think when the dust settled, mine projected at 69th, which is really nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, project, preseason projections don't really have to do with anything. It just kind of keeps me on track with how I'm kind of stacking up with other teams. Yeah, uh, I, like, I, don't, I don't harp on it myself all that much. But I looked back and without even – like I said, I didn't, I didn't even look at the projections. I was just looking at my team. Love my pitching because I'm a fan of my pitchers more than the, than the uh, projections are. But the hitting, I took guys like Puig and Lux and I just took them – I look back, if I just replaced those two picks with any other hitters that are, like, going to actually get real playing time probably, and Puig isn't even signed, so, I mean, yeah. he might be a lost cause. I think I, I think I depended too much on the fact that there's waivers, like that I could play the waiver wire a little right. bit. But ultimately, my team's okay. It could be saved with a good couple waiver moves, but I'm not a fan of it. This isn't a TGFBI podcast. This is a Grisham podcast. <laughs> we're talking about players that we've grown on, but I'm just really disappointed with that team because I was looking well, back at some of my draft champions leagues. And I even looked back on our draft together recently, and I liked that team a lot. And then I'm looking at my team for TGFBI, and I was like, what am I thinking? So, yeah, I'm a little upset. I threw a, I threw a cut in, TGF, in TGFBI, I threw a couple of darts at closers. Uh, I've got Melanson. I've got uh, Roberto Osuna, who will lead the way, of course, hopefully in saves. I also grabbed Kinsler for the Marlins. I grabbed Helsley for the Cardinals and Harvey for the Orioles. So I kind of threw some darts at closer prospects, people who may grab the job for their team, just because having drafted four draft championship teams, I kind of like some of my later round dart throws with starting pitchers. Uh, and they're guys who are still on the waiver wire that even if I have to overpay the first time that the waivers run, uh, it, to me it was worth it to kind of take the chance on – Hopefully, if I can just bank three solid closers, uh, that you know I can kind of move some of the other guys for some of my late round starting pitcher targets. So, you know, that's not that was not my plan going into the draft. It kind of evolved into that throughout. I'm decently happy with my team. Uh, my starting pitcher depth is not what I would like, but I guess that's what the waiver wire is for. And you know, it's always a development throughout the season. 
Yeah, I'm hoping for like you, good. You go, you go ahead and chase your. Oh, we're not in the same league in that one. I was gonna oh, say you chase your pit, you chase your pitchers. I chase, I'll chase the hitters because I need the hitters <laughs> more because I got the pitching depth. But anyways, back to this. Um, one of my guys, and it's like I'm. There's a few guys I've I've, I've changed. You know how to change your heart, in, and it's kind of boring. But I'll start with Kenley Jansen, and it's not nearly as in depth for the reasoning that you gave for Grisham. So I'm sorry to upset people. Heck, most of these aren't really in depth. It's just. It's very simple reasoning. Kenley was the guy that I was initially off of coming in draft season. I have no shares, and that's because I just haven't had a chance to really – I haven't drafted since I've come around on them. And it's, I guess, one of the benefits of a late start is I'll be able to get a few shares because I'm sure I won't stop drafting. And uh, he he's just – he was showing some increase of velocity in, in spring training a little bit, uh, sitting around 94 miles per hour, for, if I remember looking at that correctly. And he went to driveline in the offseason as well. And when you see a guy kind of go – try you know make a point to go better themselves and go to the what's become like the go-to place to you know regain your form as a pitcher that's that's a whole bunch of like things you want to see and of course he has a he has a pretty locked down you know spot as far as the closer gig goes in LA so ultimately I just think he was being too discounted as a closer and I think that you're talking about a guy that Velo let me let me let me just I'm thinking of myself velo typically I, I won't harp on it too much in the in spring but with a relief pitcher I feel like it holds a little more weight because a relief pitcher can throw you know harder for an inning or two because that's all they have to throw in the regular season whereas a starter you might see increased velocity because they're only throwing two or three innings so of course the velocity is up because they, they can kind of let it all out so I think there's a little more like legitimacy when you see a relief pitcher throwing harder in spring and we saw him trending towards throwing harder again and He's healthy, so I don't know. I was really kind of buying into Kenley Jansen, but again, I've yet to really gain a share of him. So he's the first guy that's kind of I've changed my outlook on, and I think he's closer to a top five closer, and he's being drafted as barely a top ten. So yeah, I, I really like that pick too. I've gotten a couple of shares on Kenley. I'm I'm in on him. I think I actually saw what you were talking about. I think I saw a chart where the velocity of his, I guess we call it a cutter, is. Uh, it correlates directly with his performance. So he's someone who is certainly going to benefit from an uptick in velocity, like you said, mm -hmm. with driveline in the offseason. I really think he's going to bounce back uh, this season. Uh, Blake Trinan was an early draft season target for me in draft championship leagues. Uh, but I do kind of feel now as we progress that Kenley is going to have a really good year. Uh, my, second guy, my second guy is Ryan McMahon for the Rockies. I think that there is still somewhat of a market inefficiency on him just because the perception all offseason was that he was going to be battling with Garrett Hampson uh, for the Lions shared second base in, in Denver. That's just not the case anymore. I think uh, I said this in his write-up on my high-value list. I kind of added him late. Uh, Bud Black came out uh, like a week before the spring training was shut down or suspended. He said that he expects McMahon to play 150 games this year. So he's going to be a guy who's going to see most of his time at second base. Whenever Nolan Arenado needs a day off, which will be rare, McMahon can shift to third and Hampson can play second. But I also think we're going to see him get quite a bit of time at first base, especially if Daniel Murphy doesn't bounce back like some expect him to do. Uh, I think on Murphy's day offs, we see McMahon shift to first, and that allows Hampson to perhaps probably play second. I think we can bank on him. I know everything will be extrapolated because the season is going to be shortened. Uh, but I think we can bank on a man to just be just about an everyday player. Uh, I think something along the lines of if it were a full season, something like 260, 
uh, with 25 to 30 home runs and a handful of stolen bases. That's super valuable at second base. I think I'm up to three or four shares of McMahon in draft. So uh, he's someone, if I don't grab it for my second base, if I attack that early, I certainly want him uh, as my middle infielder. I told you as soon as I read this list and I saw you picked McMahon, I was like, I'm with you. I think there is a huge market insufficiency as well. Inefficiency, insufficiency. Well, I guess it's both in sense, but uh, inefficiency for sure. Because again, he is one of the, when it comes to the Rockies, he's like one of the few guys that actually have what I would call a guaranteed job. So I'm hundred percent with you on McMahon. And unfortunately the next guy you're going to talk about, which we won't, I won't, I won't ruin it, but both these guys, I was really upset because I would have at least picked one of them for sure, but you already had them. So my next guy, far more boring, probably arguably the most boring guy on this list, but I feel like he's super underappreciated. And I realize I'm higher than most as far as rankings go in my outfield form, but this is Adam Eaton. And it's simply because he literally is such a roster stabilizer. I love getting my hands on him late in drafts. The big knock on him is health, but and don't get me wrong, two of the last three years, he hasn't even played 100 games. He play, In 2017, he played 23 games because of injury. 2018, he played 95 games. But in 2015 and 2016, he played 153 and 157. In 2019, just last season, he got, he got right again, played 151. So that means he's played 151 games in three of the last five years. Every year, he's played at least 151 games or more. He's put up a 14-14 minimum season with at least a night with at least 90, 91 runs, and we're talking about a team better than the White Sox when he played. That's what he, you know, that's when he put up his last two healthy seasons as well, two out of the five, I should say. So he's a guy that you bring. I look at him. I'm bank. I'm banking roughly, roughly, you know, I'm rounding up 15-15 with with about two, I don't know, two seventy five, two eighty five average, pretty easily, and a hundred runs. He's hitting four out of four out of five categories. Or he's, hit, he's hitting a solid, I'd say three, because the power isn't enough to really be a four-category producer, but he's not a zero. So he's giving you a little bit of pop, but he's definitely giving you a nice stabilization in speed, runs, and, and batting average. And with how late you can get him, that holds a lot of value because you can kind of take the, you know, the bigger ceiling guys early and pair him with an Eaton late, and you're still getting – again, speed is such a – you know, speed is so sought after that it's just – I'm surprised he's going so late in drafts because he has 20 speed upside, but you know you're getting like 14 to 15 as long as he stays healthy. Yeah. He strikes me as a guy like – I've really loved starting redrafts with something along the lines of – I think in TGFBI I started Trevor Story and Starling Marte. And when you make that start, you can kind of exhale a little bit on your prioritization of stolen bases because your foundation is so solid. Then you can target things like power and counting stats, things like that, other counting stats. And Eden really strikes me as a guy that you can, you know, if you're running projections while you draft, you kind of think, huh, I kind of need a couple more speed guys to make sure that I meet my threshold. He's a perfect guy for your, like, your fourth outfielder. Yep. Like you said, he's not going to uh, really – he's not going to be a power asset. It's not he, – he's not also – he's not going to be a drain either. Uh, but you can bank on double-digit steals, and that, as you said, that is just invaluable as we, you know, play for an overall and play in leagues that uh, could be worth something if you, if you make a run for the overall. Yeah, and I have quite a few shares of Eaton just because I'm taking him, like, a couple rounds ahead of ADP easily because I think, again, he's another guy that's – because he's perceived as injury prone and he has shown to be in recent years, but it depends on the sample size you look at. He shows when he stays, when he's healthy, it's like 150 or nothing. Like it's, there's no in between. And at his price, there's very little risk and a lot of, and not necessarily a lot of reward, just a lot of 
floor, a lot of, especially a floor in speed and batting average, which again will help you just round out that roster. Cause if you start off, you start off a little riskier and you say you grab a Schwarber in the middle rounds or somebody else, that's like maybe a little bit of a drain in batting average, but more power. This guy just rounds it out for you late in drafts. He's like, he's like a Kevin Newman type, but for the outfield, so to speak, you know, with oh, a little more power actually, but right. yeah. So who's your last guy? Or so I want to I, I want to clarify something on McMahon before I dive into third. Oh. He also has third base eligibility. Ryan McMahon is second base, third base eligible, which means if I don't get him for my second, if I attack that early with like a Jose Altuve or something like that, Keston Hayera, or I've also attacked third base, you almost certainly have to draft that early. Then McMahon is perfect for a, a corner infield or middle infield slot. I think he's going to be an asset at either one of those positions, and that's what he can be at his current price tag. So I just think he's super valuable. My third guy is Justin Turner, and here's why. I have, I've said it on here before. I've said it in articles before. We talk so much about, you know, how significant it is for power and for stolen bases. You almost have to obsess over both of those categories to hit your thresholds. And often, especially this draft season, I found myself, when I prioritize power the way that you have to, to be a player in that category, a lot of times that comes, uh, a lot of times that is going to have an adverse effect on your batting average. When I draft someone like Joey Gallo, who can, you know, he has 40 to 50 home run power potential over a 162 game season. Well, while I'm banking those stats, it is also coming with a negative effect on my batting average. So Justin Turner has increasingly become someone who, I loved the way that you termed it a few minutes ago, a, a lineup stabilizer. Yep. He's someone who is going to be batting in the middle of one of the best lineups in baseball. He is someone who is going to bat anywhere from 280 to, to, not, to I'm sorry, 280 to 290, which is incredibly valuable where you can currently draft him. And it's so valuable because not only are you banking that batting average, you're also banking someone who is not going to drain you in power. I think most projection systems had him hitting somewhere around 20 home runs. His batting ball, his batted ball metrics last year were elite. So there is a chance that we even continue to see more of a power output from him as long as he stays healthy. And of course, batting in the middle of one of the best lineups in baseball, he is going to produce runs from an RBI standpoint. And I also expect him to be driven in and score a lot of runs as well. He has become uh, one of my favorite targets in all drafts. I think I'm up to four shares of him. I think I'm at 13 redrafts or so right now. And I believe I have, yeah, I've got Justin Turner in four of my NFBC leagues. I just think, you know, there's always an injury risk with him. He does miss time with injuries. And, of course, that's going to cost even more in a shortened season if he were to get injured. But assuming he stays healthy, he is going to be someone who kind of serves as a catalyst to make your lineup work, especially if you've taken hits and batting average early in drafts to kind of bank a foundation for power that you have to have uh, to win Roto Leagues. Again, I like roster stabilizers. I have one more to finish off this list, actually, because I just called an audible, and it's no longer the guy I want to talk about because we're going to talk about him anyway. So I called an audible because there's a guy I've been targeting late, but just speaking about Justin Turner real quick, that – uh. I love that pick. I think the injury risk is built into the price because we're talking about a guy who's as safe as it gets when he's playing. And it is what it is. I mean, you could plug him in 
set him, forget him, and move on. He's going to produce. And if somehow he has that unicorn season where he plays 140 games – well, now it's like, you know what I mean, now that won't happen. But if he plays, let's say, you know, three-fourths of his games this year, that's a great season for him. And, heck, maybe a shortened season will help him in his health. That's another discussion we haven't really had because we don't know the po- – because there's so many talks – there's so much discussion about what the schedule is going to be, double headers and, all, you know, all this craziness that could go on. So we don't know the schedule yet. But once we have a better idea of what to expect as far as games, games that are going to be played and schedules, we can get a better idea of how to kind of treat some of these guys. So I do like that Justin Turner pick. I've actually targeted him in a couple of my latest home leagues, and he was never a guy I was avoiding. And I think I might have a – I have to go – I have time now. I'm probably going to go and find out how many shares of who I have and all that good stuff because I need to figure that out because I do have a lot of shares, a lot of players. But a couple, a guy that I targeted in our most recent podcast uh, wars draft and a guy I've been targeting of late is Cesar Hernandez. And, again, it just goes back to being cheap steals. And, and he's at a position where second base, not that good. We're talking about a guy that, what, last year he had nine steals, and that was his lowest steal total since 2014 where he only played 66 games and had one steal. But every year he's been a 15-steal or more guy other than 2019. So we're talking about 19, 17, 15, and 19. That's 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018 steal totals. And then 2019 he had nine. And he also, you know, last two years he's put up 14 or 15 home runs. So he's closer. I wouldn't expect much more than 10 to 12, assuming the ball is not juiced anymore. But we're still looking at a guy who can give you 10 to 12, obviously at 15 home runs even. Anywhere from 10 to 15, even 19 home runs technically as a ceiling, and we'll hit about 275 in the process. He's only hit, again, going back to 2015, like all the way through 2015 till now, he's only hit under 272 once. So we're looking at a guy who's just a solid base, can plug him in. He's, he's usually available as your middle infielder. He'll probably give you 10, 10 to 15 steals, 10 to 12 home runs, maybe 15 home runs, and give you a good batting average. He's pretty much Adam Eaton at second base. Again, another guy that I've just been realizing that I really like batting that's going kind of late in drafts and again considering the how bad the second base landscape can be he's a guy that's a great fallback option and he's just boring but again boring can win you leagues especially where depends on where you're taking your boring picks but lastly about him something I noticed about Hernandez was at least what they were showing in spring training was they had a tendency the Indians were I know it's spring training but they were you know trotting out what looked like what could be like an everyday lineup and he was oh he was pretty often hitting second Mercado was being slotted down to the seven hole. People didn't want to buy into that, but Hernandez has hit second plenty, if not majority of the time in Philly. I, I would have to double check that to be certain, but I know he was hitting second in Philly or top two in Philly for a while. And he's a good hitter. I mean, he's a career 277 batting average guy with a career 352 on base percentage. The guy gets on base. The guy, you know, that, and that's a big deal for the top of a lineup that was going to be better than most people probably realize. So I think if he grabs that two spot, that adds more value because we're talking more at bats. And he's more of a compiler, but again, very similar to Adam Eaton with a similar price tag at a position that is such a need. So that's why I was really in on Cesar Hernandez of late. And I think yeah. his price has kind of gone up in the meantime as well, though. I love that pick. And I, I was going to add it before you <laughs> added it yourself that – during the spring, Hernandez was hitting towards the top of their lineup mm-hmm. on days where it looked like they were fielding their opening day lineup, their everyday lineup. Yeah. Uh, so if we can – if we eventually can bank on him being a table setter for Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, Hernandez could be like one of the sneaky underrated plays of the entire draft season because his runs scored are going to skyrocket. Uh, we have a long track record of on-base skills that we can kind of lean on. 
And also, I mean, he's not going to drain you in the home run department later. He's a really, really nice player, especially if we can uh, assume later this season that he's going to hit towards the top of their lineup. Yeah, and that was, and a lot of people may not even notice as well. Like that was, he was also, you know, hitting the top of that lineup with Mercado before, prior to the, you know, that scary injury that ended up being uh, minor. So like th- he wasn't just moved up there because Mercado got knocked out with that injury. He was up there before Mercado got hurt. So that was another thing that was uh, worth noting because why th- there was no reason for them to trot that lineup out there and not give Mercado more reps. You know what I mean? Like that's why like people are like oh they- I'm not buying it, but it's like why wouldn't you buy it? They, they had no reason to put right. Mercado seven. Yeah, it felt it felt real. It did because my big thing is is like, like Evan White was batting second a lot, and that's the example I'm using is because maybe Evan White won't stick batting second because maybe they just want to get him reps as a young player. Mercado's still a young player. This is only his second year. This is actually his first full season. It was supposed to be his first full season. So for them to kind of slot him in the seven hole, not giving him the reps over a guy who's what? Let's see. He's the 30, 30 – oh, I can't find his age. Of course I can't find his age right now. Oh, 29. Cesar Hernandez is 29 going, on, going into his age 30 season. He obviously doesn't need those reps, so it looked like it looked and felt very real, like you said. So that's uh, that's gonna do it for our guys. So year three that you've been kind of growing, I've grown on you were Trent Grisham, Ryan McMahon, and Justin Turner. Mine, because I called an audible on the fly, were Kenley Jansen, Adam Eaton, and Cesar Hernandez. So we're gonna move on to our final subject of the day, and that's gonna be how the delayed start to 2020 affects the prospect world. This is more <laughs> down your alley. And this kind of leads right into the redraft prospects, though, because we're kind of talking redraft. We'll stick with redraft for a moment. Which pitchers do you think it affects the most, and what do you see exactly happening with them? Okay, so I'm going to – I'm going to – I've made myself a little bit of a list. I'm going to run through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do it as quickly as I possibly can. There uh, is more of a story to some than others. But yeah. here, here is how I am evaluating the fact that the season is going to be shortened from a prospect standpoint. And I could be completely wrong. I – I've honestly, I've reached out to several of my better contacts who are kind of have their ears plugged in to the goings on of the league, and they can't even really give me a straight answer yet just because there is still so much unknown. Let's say that the regular season is shortened and it's cut in half. So now instead of a 162-game regular season, now we're only playing 81 games. Well, an undeniable fact about that would be that the importance of each individual game increases. For teams that are kind of on the bubble, who are hoping to either contend for their division or for a wild card slot, each win comes with increased significance this season because there are going to be fewer games possible to win. So here's my thought process. If I'm a team like the Padres, if I am a team like the Cardinals, and I've got a McKenzie Gore, I've got a Dylan Carlson, who are, in my opinion, major league ready, but in a perfect world, I can squeeze them for another year of service time if I'm an organization. If I am truly looking to contend in 2020, both of those guys are opening the year on my active roster. Uh, You know, Gore, I know for a fact, having talked to several people inside or plugged into the Padres organization, their original plan was for Gore to start in AAA. He was going to kind of get acclimated to the big league ball uh, to make sure, you know, he's kind of got a little bit of a track record with some lister issues, especially shortly after he was drafted. So he was going to get used to the, the big league ball uh, about maybe a month or so to, to the where the, uh, the Padres have ensured that he is not going to be kind of a super, a super two issue. And then he was going to kind of debut, debut in March 
can kind of be a mainstay in that rotation for most of the 2020 regular season. Now the Padres have to ask themselves the question, do we, do we really feel like we can contend for an NL wildcard slot this season? And in my opinion, with them paying Manny Machado what they're paying Manny Machado, with them paying Eric Hosmer what they're paying Eric Hosmer, they traded for Tommy Pham this offseason, I think they should be doing everything they can to compete this season. And if they are, that means that McKenzie Gore should be one of their starting pitchers because he is one of the five best big league starters in that organization right now. So that's where I kind of stand on the McKenzie Gore situation. I could be wrong. Maybe they do sit him for the first few weeks of the regular season. To me, that tells me that they are intentionally taking prioritization off of the 2020 season. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. I have a ton of redraft shares on Gore, mostly in draft championships, but I also got a share uh, in the six-man rotation auction league that I did a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, everyone knows, everyone's been talking about it. Obviously, this is a huge positive impact on him. He was going to have his innings restricted, and rightfully so, coming off of uh, – he didn't pitch much last year. He had a shoulder injury. He's not too far removed from Tommy John. Uh, now we think, you know, especially if the season is cut in half or even 100 games, now he's going to be a factor throughout the regular season. He was someone who I kind of thought was overpriced from a fantasy standpoint. In my opinion, you kind of hope to break even on Lazardo where he was being taken. If we can bank on him being a factor throughout the shortened season, I now think you have a little bit of a margin of profit from him. Obviously, I've, I've said it. I think him and Julio Urias are the two pitchers who are most positively affected from a potential shortened season. I'm going to pair the next two together. Uh, because we have kind of the flip side of the Padres coin with Casey Mize and Matt Manning. They're playing for the Tigers. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm kind of secretly buying some of their offensive shares. I think Cameron Mabin, C.J. Crone, uh, Jacoby Jones, even uh, Jonathan Shute. I think those guys are going to provide decent value this year in fantasy. But it doesn't matter. if they, Even if they hit their fantasy ceilings, the Tigers are not going to compete in the AL Central. And because of that, I kind of think Detroit can kind of be more patient and conservative with the way that they push Mize, uh, Casey Mize and Matt Manning. I do think that both of them are still going to make their de debut towards the end of the regular season. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be a priority for them to throw big league innings this year. I, like I said, I think they're going to have a little bit of a fantasy impact towards kind of the final weeks of the regular season. Uh, and I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that both exhaust their prospect eligibility this season. I just kind of – the way that I am visualizing the short season playing out from a prospect and from a service time standpoint, I'm kind of got the arrow down on them a little bit from a redraft standpoint. Uh, next is Nate Pearson with the Blue Jays. You know, the Blue Jays are kind of a little bit more of a minor version of the Padres. I don't really see the Blue Jays uh, contending for a wild card slot in the American League. Uh, Pearson looked really, really good during spring training. Of course, that was in a couple inning samples at a time where his stuff really, really plays up. Uh, you know, since I released my prospect list, I've probably taken more criticism on Pearson than on anybody else. I ranked in 35th, and people thought that that was an irredeemable sin on my part. Uh, he's a guy, I think that he will probably get more action at the big league level than Casey Mize or Matt Manning this year. Uh, but he's not someone who I think you're going to be able to lean on 
in your redraft leagues for the course of an 81-game regular season. Once again, I would love to be wrong. I would love if he opened in uh, Toronto's rotation. I just don't really see it happening just because they seem so adamant about the fact that he was going to start in AAA. And they, they themselves had said that he was going to kind of be a mid-season call-up. I don't know, even if they do play him a little bit more aggressively, I don't know if that means that he breaks camp in the, in the Blue Jays' rotation, even with a shortened season. And then lastly, Dylan Carlson's really the last one who sticks out to me. Uh, I kind of put him in the same bucket as Mackenzie Gore. The Cardinals last year somehow made it all the way to the NLCS. Uh, they will be a contender in the Central again, which should be a, a fairly, in my opinion, it'll be a weak division compared to uh, the West and the East. Uh, but the Cardinals need uh, impact, offensive impact in their lineup in the outfield. Carlson fits that bill. He had had a really good spring training. Uh, I'm a Cardinals fan, and there had been a vibe amongst people who were kind of plugged in that the Cardinals were kind of leaning toward Carlson starting in AAA this year. Uh, I hope, and in my opinion, it should, a shortened season should push them to go ahead and bump him up. He should be an everyday player or just about an everyday player until he proves otherwise. He is a guy who can impact the top of a big league lineup, and the Cardinals desperately need that if they hope to make another playoff run this season. I took some notes here, and honestly, we discussed it, and the guy, one of the guys that made my list of guys I'm interested in more, and I do have a couple shares, I think at least one was Rich Hill, and we did actually thought, we, I didn't want to get into the debate on Twitter, because we were talking Rich Hill or Mackenzie Gore, and essentially, you cover both sides of the argument, so I really don't have much to add. I'm essentially, here it is, you sit on that side of the fence, I sit on the other side of the fence. I think, even though I understand your argument, and it makes a lot of sense, it really does, I still think the less games played essentially gives them more reason because especially if they actually want to get him in AAA to get some reps in. I mean, this kind of didn't, I mean, ha having a hot start to the spring, unless he, unless they, have, they mentioned having an abbreviated spring training as well coming into the season, but there's so much to be, to be said yet. There's so much to, you know, still get to be known. I have a heart. I still lean towards them keeping Gore down. And that's the only reason why I favor Hill over Gore, not because of a skill set thing. I think Gore can be elite. Maybe well, maybe not this year. I think he'd be very good this year. Whereas Hill, I think uh, the problem with Hill is he's just always hurt. But on a per inning per game basis, I think he can be a solid SP. Maybe you're like a SP three type of up, maybe SP two upside per game. But obviously the innings and all that. But he's supposed he was supposed to be missing most of the half the year anyway. So he gets to come back without injury. But I, my my honestly, the boring argument, the boring thing to do would be pair them because even if Gore starts down. Hill will just get hurt in time for when he comes up, and it's like a perfect – we get one pitcher. <laughs> you get a perfect pitcher between the two. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, that's probably the right answer. It's probably the boring but right answer. I'm rooting for Gore. I am with you on Gore. I want him up right away. I just – I'm just less optimistic. I think, although obviously the Padres want to contend, I honestly don't know. I think a part of them will – they would like to see – obviously depends as well how many games they have to play, but with every game meaning more – I see what you're saying, but at the same time, maybe they want to see what they can do with the five. You know, they have their starting five, and Lauer was hurt. Now he'll be back. So they can probably see what they can do, limp into the season with their starting five. Well, it wouldn't be limping. It would be full go with the starting five and see how it starts. A slow start would benefit Gorgang an early call-up, but a fast start would hurt him. You know what I mean? So I, I'm more along the lines of we're going to – I don't think they're going to start 
up, starting with up. But I could be wrong. Obviously, we saw recent track records suggest I'm going to be wrong with Paddock and Tatis. But that was just one year. We're not, you know, this isn't like a long track record of them doing this. It's not like the White Sox now going on two, three years of signing some of their young guys long term deals and getting them up. You know what I mean? So, right. and that's you know, why. I, when I joined that Twitter conversation, I was mm-hmm. not climbing my hill to die on it for Mackenzie Gore over Rich Hill this year. I think. You know, of course, your Mike Clevenger, Blake Snell, James Paxton, of course, those are going to make the highlights as far as injured pitchers who will now seemingly Lance McCullers, the pitchers yeah. who, of course, are going to have a bigger impact now that the season has been pushed back. But it is impossible to not have an arrow pointing straight up with Rich Hill right now. Because like you said, by a per start, per inning pitch basis, he can be one of the best pitchers in your fantasy rotation. So now it'll be along the lines of can he stay healthy? He's someone who I will certainly be targeting in the late drafts that I do or the drafts that lead up to the actual start of the regular season that we'll have the opportunity to do now. Uh, I do suspect that Rich Hill will have more 2020 redraft value than McKenzie Gore. I just think that if I'm right about my thought process, that McKenzie Gore is going to have more value in redraft leagues even with the short season than most people are anticipating. And I could see that. I'm not, and that's why I know the argument wasn't really Hill over Gore or Gore over Hill. The argument was how much playing time or how much time up Gore will get. That was more of what you were trying to argue your point of. And again, I can understand it. I just, I sit on the, literally you mentioned both sides of the argument. I just sit on the side that you don't, like we sit on opposite sides. That's all it is. And I could be wrong. And I'm okay with being wrong. That's why I wasn't, it wasn't worth truly embracing on Twitter because it might've made for a boring argument because again, I would have been like, Hey, you could be right. That's why I was like, I'm, yeah. not really, I'm not really here to argue it because I I'm, a, I'm very aware I could be wrong. I'm just simply, it's as simple as the fact that and I know this makes for a boring Twitter debate, a boring podcast debate, but it's because I don't feel that strongly about it. I could like, I'm, if I'm wrong, I wouldn't be surprised. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just, and that's all this, it is. An argument like this kind of, it epitomizes where we currently are at when we attempt to predict and project the 2020 season. Yeah. Like it's really hard to make an argument and really believe deep down that you're right because I'm sitting here and I, you know, I truly believe in my stance that the Padres should try to compete this year. And if they do that, that means Gore should be up from the get go. But I don't, we don't know how teams are going to handle a shorter season. We've never, really seen this before or at least I haven't seen it since I began prospecting and began playing serious fantasy baseball so this just really it speaks to the just the plethora and abundance of unknown that is currently in the industry right now exactly and that's why it's kind of frustrating because like like you mentioned Lazardo's an obvious candidate to he goes from being overpriced to being almost underpriced like you can get him now like I would argue he's top 25 maybe top 20 because I think just for the upside potential, because again, you're talking about a guy who's going relatively low in drafts that should gain value now having that he's, uh, that he's more uh, going to have, you know, the innings, the whole innings limit thing. And I'm not going to get into that. I talked about that in nausea. And so, you know, Urias fits that bill. I think my colors was somebody that I personally would put in that same tier or grouping that, you know, you mentioned Urias being a part of. So I like McCullers in that as well because I thought I think like 12130 was to be expected. Now 12130 would be a full season it seems like at this point. So yeah I, re- yeah, I really, really pointing I grabbed him. I drafted him in yeah. Battle of the Podcasts. Yeah and that worked out fantastically. Yes. You know what I mean? So. Uh, and Carlson I'm I'm 
I'm just the same thing. See my stance on Carlson. Like I love Carlson. You know this. I've I've been a Carlson guy for as long as you probably you know you and I have probably talked. And um, I just again I'm on the other side of it. Just being pessimistic. That's all. It's again we'll wait and see. It's more of a wait and see approach. But we can move on from that. No need to harp on this again. This discussion just I, I we need more information. It's unfortunate, but we just need more information. So how does this? Oh, you know what? Before I kind of have a random thought. Sure. What are what are your thoughts and at this potential? I put it out on Twitter. I didn't get much feedback because I guess people want to don't want to think about this. But you know, there's whole the whole CBA talks. And there was already talking about there was already talk about a shortened season next year. What are the odds or what? Like, do you think it's possible we have no baseball for a year and a half at this point? Like as crazy as it sounds, but like guys like Thor and Sale from a dynasty aspect, they could be buy lows because by the time we have baseball back, if we lose a whole season, they could both be back from TJ and not miss a beat. Do you think maybe there's some thought, like there's a chance for this to happen? Well, it, that is a question that I've been asked a lot from I've VIP been, members in my oh, direct messages. Like, how do, we, how do we attack buying low? Especially the uh, main one has been Severino. Like, yeah. what is an offer you would put out for Severino? What's your thought process? I think, I mean, maybe there's an outside chance. I think I'd put it less, maybe 5%, 5 to 10%. That's if there's still, no baseball, still I mean, more, still more than we want to admit to, though. You know what I mean? Like, yes, and I mean that's that's pretty aggressive for me to say five to ten. Yeah. I think almost zero. Hopefully, almost zero. <laughs> yeah, see, that scares me because I'm with you. Obviously, I don't want. Nobody wants to see that. But the fact that that's a that's a possibility. That is that is crazy. It is. But it's not been. Yeah, I've been I've been optimistic with 2020. I still I'm kind of under the impression that hopefully uh, public safety precautions can be taken and we're back. Baseball's back sometime in July. Uh, the longer it goes, the more pushback I get on that thought. People thinking that's that's going to be a little bit too early. But I don't. Maybe maybe it's just how much I want baseball to return that I just kind of deflect any thought of the notion that we may not see actual yeah. baseball again until 2022. I just, I'm not, I can't wrap my head or my heart around that thought. I'm not saying till the 2022 season, but I'm definitely thinking if we lose this season, there is a legitimate shot. We have no baseball to like, you know, partly into next season because unless the good thing of losing this season, if I, I'm trying to be optimistic. Now this is the optimistic part. If we do lose this season, obviously the players association and the MLB they're talking. So why wouldn't they just say, you know what season's lost? Like I'm not saying that right now, but I'm saying, you know, they get down the line, things get really bad because from what I'm, where I'm seeing my, my point of view from like working and being like kind of kept in a loop of what to expect as far as like our, you know, Florida and all that, but this whole thing, things aren't at its worst yet. They're probably, it's probably going to peak in mid May. It's what they're saying. Mid to late May, potentially it could be peaking here in the States. Because we haven't taken precautions other countries have. That's a whole other discussion. But with that being said, that can cause delays to be pushed back into July easily. Because we're just like that. We're talking about the peak. There's still the come down. You know what I mean? Right. So, with that being said, if we lose 2020, which is very depressing, the thought of it's very upsetting. But it, say we lose that, you would think if there's one good thing that can come out of this, it would be that they can get the talks going now. There is no, nothing holding them back from saying, you know what, let's look ahead, let's get a deal struck so we have no more lost time entering 2021. Right, and hopefully, hopefully the deal that we have just seen passed here in the past couple hours, uh, hopefully that kind of can spearhead further discussions. That way 
when baseball is finally able to return, whenever that is, we have kind of a long agreement in place for perhaps some long-standing labor peace. So at least we won't have to worry about that. Hopefully, if the layoff is continued further or longer than we'd like, hopefully uh, the two sides can sit down and work out a long-term agreement. Yeah, exactly. So I know, again, that was kind of a random thought, but that's kind of, I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on this because, again, I haven't really spoken to a lot of people about that specific thought that I've been thinking. So we can move on, and unfortunately – or fortunately, I guess, I don't know. I, I don't really know what to think of this. Like, where are your 2020 evaluations as far as for teenage prospects? Like, how does this all, like, does this affect them at all? I mean, this kind of is interesting from a dynasty point of view. It could be absolutely huge. And I've been asked this a whole lot. So if you are a follower, if you are a VIP member, make sure you are listening to this because – you really, really, really need to know this. Even if you don't play fantasy baseball and you just invest in baseball cards, you need to know this. So there is already some whispers going around that no matter how delayed or how shortened the minor league season is, the fact that spring training was cut short, the fact that minor league spring training uh, typically goes extends further than the MLB spring training does, that a whole lot, if not every, at least some organizations are going to be keeping some of their younger prospects at their facilities instead of sending them out to kind of your short season affiliates. And I kind of wrote some people down here who it might affect the most. I wrote down Noel V. Marte with the Mariners. Uh, Eric Pena with the Royals, Robert Poisson with the Athletics, Jason Dominguez with the Yankees, and even someone like Marco Luciano. Luciano might uh, be just kind of assigned to the South Atlantic League, and he may debut in full season. I hope he does. But what that is going to mean is that unless you go to an organization's kind of their spring training minor league facility, it is going to be incredibly hard to get a live look at Noel de Marte, of Eric Pena, of Robert Poisson, of Jason Dominguez, and a whole lot of other prospects that I didn't even mention here. It is going to have wide-spanning effects, and it's going to make it harder. Of course, I'm not complaining because I'm but a speck on the wall as far as the big picture goes, but it is going to make it a lot more difficult to accurately or precisely evaluate some of the prospects in the top 100 that were expected to kind of ascend largely this season. Someone like Noel de Marte is widely projected to uh, start the season in the Northwest League uh, in Eugene. If he does not go to Eugene and we can't see him every night on ML by MILB TV or evaluators and scouts can't go watch him in short season, then you're going to be relying on the evaluator or the scout who just so happens to be at the Mariners facility and he gets to see him live. So the exposure is going to be diminished gigantically. That is going to affect prices in the baseball card market, which you would be surprised how many people follow me, even bought my VIP material just to kind of get a heads up or a leg up in the card market. There are going to be huge effects there. There are going to be huge effects as far as kind of the ground level shares of a Eric Pena or Robert Poisson or even Dominguez from last year's J2 class. There is going to be a gigantic effect. And hopefully this doesn't happen. 
hopefully organizations become incentivized to send prospects where they were originally planning on sending them to short season affiliates or whatever. I know personally of our Ian Smith, who is our Florida State League prospect analyst, he also has access to the Gulf Coast League, and that was going to be where uh, Jason Dominguez was going to probably debut later this summer. And we were going to get multiple live looks at him, and it was going to be a fairly large deal for our website to kind of get those live looks that uh, most other websites aren't getting. Well, now he may be kind of, in a, in a sense, relegated to his facility. And uh, we're going to be very limited in the, in the amount of video we get on these guys if this comes true, the amount of live looks. It is going to make our job a whole lot harder, and it is also going to have effects on dynasty leagues across the board. Now, like I said, hopefully this does not come to fruition. Hopefully these prospects get assigned uh, to the organizations or the levels that we thought they would, but uh, the, the whispers are not going away. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Now, as far as a dynasty league goes, because we all play in those and they are so fun, but they are so frustrating at the same time. What are you doing? If you're a team kind of – built on these prospects do you try to sell them off while their value is still there and try to build for a team to contend you know this year next year or do you kind of hold hold your lottery tickets and hope they cash still like what are you more likely to do like buy low or sell high sell high or kind of you know hold tight with these guys well i think perhaps the light at the end of the tunnel or the really the only good facet of them if they are held in their facilities uh, and only play games around their facility this summer I think if you're a team that's largely built on these types of players, your timeline, your contention window was was in all likelihood not going to open until maybe 2022, 2023, somewhere in there. If these prospects are, then, you know, they kind of make up the heart and soul of your core that you're building. Uh, so hopefully this does not really impact their long-term ETA. Maybe it does by half a season just because they're not going to, you know, be able to experience minor league life until next year or whenever minor league life kind of goes back to normal. They're not going to be getting on buses, uh, traveling from state to state to play. They're not going to be sleeping in hotels, things like that. Uh, that does have at least a little bit of an impact on their ETAs. But long term, I'm not going to really panic as far as what this does to my contention window in dynasty leagues. Maybe I push it back another half year, maybe a year if I'm really pessimistic. But I'm certainly not going, you know, if they are held back in their own facilities and their team's facilities, I'm certainly not going to be looking to, sh uh, to sell any of these guys low. Uh, I think I just kind of perhaps hold or, you know, maybe I search out a, a league mate who's willing to overpay. But I'm certainly not going to, affect, uh, to let something I can't control as far as these players staying in facilities. I'm not going to kind of cave into uh, what the trade value for these guys does. I just think that, uh, you know, things like this will separate. I said it on Twitter yesterday. It'll separate the sharps from the squares as far as your prospect list people go and things like that. Uh, and getting that access to these prospects that we're not going to see like we are accustomed to seeing in past seasons. Gotcha. So a lot of it's going to be secondhand information or like small video clips. Right. Those, Assuming, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Those who are connected, uh, who have contacts inside organizations, things like that. I assume that uh, we will get information that 
uh, we can pass along and I'll be publishing it in the, in the ramblings as I see it once the season uh, officially starts. But uh, information is going to be uh, infinitely harder to come by if this scenario plays out for sure. Gotcha. And the last thing this seems to affect, and I'm not sure how to react, so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, the 2020 MLB draft, you know, it's shortened to five seasons this year, or five seasons, yeah, it's shortened to five rounds. And then 2021 is shortened to 20 rounds. International signing, obviously, going to be pushed back. What are some of the implications possibly from all this? So there are really two things that are worth highlighting. Number one, uh, this winter, before spring training started, there was an article published that had 42 minor league, minor league teams that under a proposal would be cut. And there was a gigantic pushback. There were a lot of people who were really upset. And we even had some litigation from, uh, from kind of political figureheads uh, who, you know, claimed that they were going to fight this and that, you know, minor league baseball is obviously extremely important and pivotal. Uh, to small towns and to small town economies, things like that. But when I see something like the Major League Baseball decreasing and shortening the 2020 draft to five rounds, next year's MLB draft is going to be shortened to 20 rounds. Uh, you're pushing back international signing days, things like that. It is hard for me to believe that this won't eventually have ramifications for those 42 teams that have basically – been put on the chopping block by MLB. Now, of course, once again, this is not about me. This is not about Ray Butler because this is going to impact thousands of lives in different towns and different cities across the country. If, maybe not even if, maybe when this happens, I'm going to lose the minor league team that is 20 minutes from my hometown. Oh, yeah, I'm losing the one uh, that's literally 10 minutes from, from my, uh, where I live. Yeah. Uh, the single A, the high A uh, Reds affiliate, the Daytona, the Daytona Tortugas. It's a lot of fun, great, great atmosphere, great family thing to do, cheap, fun, and it's gone. Like it's this was an introduction to get my kids. I'm trying to get my kids into baseball. They don't really care about it, but this was a way to kind of get them out there just to see a ball game. You know, go talk. They, they interact with the players. They, you know, they get to run on. The, I've had my kids run on the field. Like you know, it's a great thing. There's just again such a small drop in the you know drop in the big you know grand scheme of things as well on my end but this just affects people i'm one family i'm one person one family it affects players it affects economies like you said it just affects everything this is so it's just so depressing like goodness i hate everything it does and, uh, <laughs> like in, in one of my favorite memories i have with my wife 2017 uh the mississippi braves are in town and the mississippi braves have mike soroka uh they have max free Luis gohara and a teenager that uh, went by the name of Ronald Acuna Jr. Hmm. And, uh, that was my, that was before Prospects 365 had been launched. I was just really beginning to dabble in the prospects, things like that. I was able to share a week where uh, Max Freed pitched, and he is now my wife's favorite player, uh, but not because of his pitching prowess. I think it has something to do with his looks. <laughs> uh, we got to see Soroka pitch. And I got to sit in a double-A stadium that only had a couple hundred fans there. And I got to tell my wife every time that Ronald Acuna Jr. came up to bat, I would point and I would say that is the future, not only of the Braves, it is the future of baseball. And I was able to share that experience with my wife, who is a gigantic Braves fan, uh, because of our access to a double-A team 20 minutes from our house. 
now, from a scouting and evaluation standpoint, of course, my travel is going to exponentially increase because just because I don't have a home track 20 minutes from me anymore, I still have to get to minor league fields. I have to continue to provide uh, the content that our followers and our readers have, you know, begun to lean on our website for. So that's not going to stop, but uh, it is greatly going to complicate things, not only for uh, several towns and cities and economies across the country, but like you said, for families who were looking forward to taking their young children to games that won't have that opportunity anymore, it's kind of a gut punch. Now, uh, last but not least, don't just kind of shove the fact that the International Signing Day is going to be delayed. Don't, don't shove that to the side because there is a gigantic effect as far as the content that you read uh, traditionally. So if this summer's J2 class is pushed back and we kind of see a new J2 as far as a January 2nd signing day, then there is going to be a ton of variance, a ton of volatility as far as how those prospects are ranked this time next year. Because, you know, this year I – uh, I sent my prospect list, my top 200 complete with write-ups, I sent it to VIP members on New Year's Day. So there's a chance if I do that same thing again next year, that I'm going to be including prospects on my list that are still technically unaffiliated. So once again, it goes to having those contacts that are in, uh, that are in organizations or are domestic and have their ears plugged into the goings-on in the Dominican Republic, in Puerto Rico, things like that, that are going to give those prospect list rankers kind of a leg up and an advantage over those who don't have that amount of contact. So once again, I said it on Twitter yesterday, I think it's going to separate the sharks from the squares, and it's not something that I worry about at all. Uh, but you will see the effects of these delays in prospect list in the near future, and it's going to be exceptionally very, very fun to kind of look at and evaluate from a reader standpoint. That is very interesting. And that's going to wrap up the show. I mean, no, it's not. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Now, since Mike didn't want to do it, I'm going to do it. I don't Mike? like to do it. I don't like to There are several reasons that it, it has been about a month since we have published an episode. And Mike went out of his way to kind of put the blame on him. It is just as much about me and getting kind of settled into what looks like is going to become a new normal of kind of being uh, social distancing from inside our own home. Uh, I was dealing with the start of the high school baseball season before, of course, it got shut down. But Mike, take a minute and tell readers about what, or not readers, listeners, what is happening with the Bases Loaded Network, because there are a ton of exciting things going on in your leg of the world. All right. Well, I do appreciate that. You know me too well because you knew I was going to skip right over that. Um, not that I'm not proud of it, but again, the idea is to highlight Prospects 365 on this podcast. But I do, again, appreciate the, um, the platform to kind of talk about what we're doing here. I essentially, about a month ago, when all this kind of went crazy, I just decided to up and start with a turn from base loaded podcast to a full on network. And I brought on writers. We're producing mostly redraft content. I'm actually looking for a dynasty slash prospect writer. So if anybody needs a little side gig, hit me up. But uh, in all seriousness, other than that, man, I mean, it's just kind of bringing it all together. I mean, I write already as it is. 
I've kind of, you know, started meeting a lot of people in, in the right places. And it made me realize, I'm like, I just kind of want to do this thing. I just want to give it a go, see what happens. I've never been a guy that kind of sits stagnant. Obviously, I am literally trying to be everywhere and do as much as I can in this industry. So what better way to give back than by bringing on writers, trying to help them grow and become, you know, become better writers. Hopefully, I can teach them a little thing or two that I've learned along the way. And I'm just trying to build up this team, this network. And, you know, right now, again, we're focused on redraft as of right now, but I, ha I do have dynasty rankings in the works. That's going to be my dynasty rankings. I'm not the prospector that guys like Ray and, you know, Chris Blessing and other great guys I've met along the way, Eric Cross, you know, these guys, I I'm not the prospector, but dynasty rankings, I think I'm going to be okay at because I'm really strong on the redraft side of things and I, I can, I can do all right, but I'm not going to lie. That's why it's like, I really, I would love somebody that's good with prospects to come my way if they, if they want, if they want to write a little extra something, something, but again, that's a whole other discussion. I do appreciate you bringing it up, Ray, but it's really just, I'm just taking it and seeing where it can go. And that's why the video content's kind of coming with it. Uh, we have articles we're releasing. I'm trying to release as much articles as possible. We just released a couple last couple of days. We even, we share so, a writer, don't we? We, we do. And I actually asked him before he came to me, I was like, look, make sure. Cause Ray, you're a good dude, man. I, and uh, I respect our relationship as far as what we've built together so far. And first thing I went to him and that's another thing, man, I'm, I'm very humble. I understand how this works. I'm like, I made sure he asked you for permission. I hope he did. Cause he told me he did. So I mean, <laughs> he did. Uh, yeah. Cause I was like, cause that's another thing, Ray. I won't take one of your guys unless they like, like I won't, I just, I'm not here to poach. You know what I mean? I'm here to right. work with you, work with everybody else. And I'm just trying to build up a community, man. We, we have a couple good writers. I'm actually going to work on getting them on podcast as well. And um, just kind of get them the exposure that, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of, get going as quick as I have. I'm hoping and my goal is to help build others up in the community because this community is never, you know, it's always been so good to me. The least I can do is try to give back to it as much as possible. I know right. it's kind of like that. That's like the, the per that's like that answer that people give like all oh, the politically correct answer, but it's true. It's just been such a good welcoming community. People like you have just, you know, I, I've, I've had a chance to meet you and work with you, Alex fast, just a bunch of great guys that have been doing this a lot longer than me. have been so willing to help me out this was just my way of doing the same thing essentially. Yeah. And someone like Adam Ehrenreich, who is the writer that mm -hmm. we share, he has gone from kind of a hidden gem because <laughs> he's rating for prospects 365 from the start. Yeah. He's kind of evolved from that hidden gem to someone who who's worked for my site has become some of the most popular content we put out every preseason and regular season. Uh, he's a big time writer and, you know, the fact that we we now share him and he writes for both of our sites just gives him the opportunity to kind of expand uh, the people, his kind of readership, the people that read what he writes. Uh, he's in New Jersey. Uh, they, they have it, the COVID-19, they've got it worse uh, in New Jersey. And I know in his hometown was the worst uh, county in New Jersey as far as the amount of infection. So he's bunkered down in his house, but I know that we are extremely thankful for the amount of work and the amount of content that he pumps out. He is oh, no doubt sure. going to be an asset for both sides. Oh, for sure. And don't get me wrong, man. I'm appreciate like right now. I straight up, cause I, I, you know, I'm trying to implement some type of structure. Of course, right now is not the time. I'm so lenient as far as like, look, if they, if he can write, if he can't write, like, you know what I mean? I'm like, here, do what you can give me what you can and I will take it. But right now is, you know, like I'm, that's another thing. I'm, I'm, I'm an easygoing boss. I, I'm probably a bad boss because I don't like, I don't treat this like I'm, I'm a boss. I try to be really, you know, I'm just, I'm just another guy, you know, I'm just another guy trying to run a site. And 
I just I think a part of it, I mean I'm not just this is me kissing a little butt I guess but like getting a chance to work with you a little bit help me pursue this because I'm like I've, I've had a chance to speak to you and how you run and you know you run your site and how much fun you have doing it and how how it's like this project of yours is like your baby and then I've you know again I was actually talking to Pollock and same thing and I'm like these guys seem to really enjoy it and I have this passion and honestly dude it's a lot of work it's a lot more work than you realize but it's a lot of fun at the same time it, it really it really feels rewarding rewarding the more that people seem to like i'm getting a lot of good feedback and honestly like i guess one something about one of my articles i released people didn't like and they didn't like it because they're and one of the comments was this is subpar compared to what i've come to expect from your thing i was like honestly that kind of sucks to hear but it was great to hear because at least now people are expecting quality content from me already and the thing that's the thing some of these guys that were getting to write for us are very very good writers and i'm glad just like you are to be able to kind of put the light shine light on them a little bit and help them grow and hopefully they can do good things as well you know so for sure oh that's I, that's a that's a little longer winded than i anticipated being but again i just love doing this stuff so appreciate all those who are listening um any final thoughts before we get out of here ray no just uh i do expect i know it's been a month since uh episode three of this podcast was published i do expect us to become more regular yeah uh, as as we talked about at the start of the podcast even though things are kind of shut down in public of course mike is still extremely uh busy just because he is essential uh, <laughs> but we, we promise that we are going to continue to uh, publish as often as we can that is going to be more often than once a month. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Uh, we'll get we'll get into a routine and we'll we'll get a lot more content out uh, much sooner than we have been. Yeah, and again, I, and to be completely honest, like I, I said at the beginning, mo- it's been largely on on my end between a the site kind of keeping me so busy initially, and then honestly, the last two to three weeks, man, I've just straight up almost dep- like not depressed, but just so bummed out by everything going on between work everybody my whole my everything's just been thrown off so again that's been largely due to me it's not because late uh, i don't want to come i don't want to think i don't people think it's you or you you know you just not wanting to it's been me just strictly been it's been all on me and i do apologize for anybody listening and ray wanted the ray wanted to do this for a while now this has been pushed back on multiple occasions because of me so i apologize for the inconvenience guys it will be more regular going forward we will talk more about that behind the scenes but as always guys if you want to follow ray and anything prospects 365 you just hit them up on Twitter at prospects365. If you want to, you know, talk to me a little bit as well, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. We just truly yeah, appreciate Yeah, I do, I, I do have one more thought. Oh, go ahead. We, I did this morning, I now, I don't know when this is going to be published for you to listen to. Uh, this morning on Twitter, I announced our 10,000 follower giveaway. Earlier this week, we uh, kind of surpassed the 10,000 Twitter follower mark. Of course, that. Uh, is reason to celebrate so we are giving away a copy of the show 20 so if you if you win the giveaway of course you will have the option if you don't have the game and you want the game I will gladly make sure uh, that that happens for you if you already have the game or you don't have a PlayStation or you're not interested in the game uh, we will send you the amount of money that the game is worth anyways so this should be something that everyone should want to participate in all you have to do uh, is make sure you're following us on Twitter at Prospects365. You have to uh, retweet and like the tweet that is currently pinned on our profile announcing the giveaway. And I also uh, wrote a quick, just a very brief article with more information on the giveaway. Make sure you give that a read as well. Something that hopefully a lot of people participate in. Uh, of course, it's a reason to celebrate and to give back to the followers who have really uh, played just an instrumental and crucial role in building what prospects 365 has become 
That is awesome. Honestly, that is really cool. This podcast will be out in short order. I, I, I do promise you that, Ray. But on that note, that is the perfect way to end it, guys. We, again, truly appreciate listening, and we will talk to you soon, and I mean it.